Welcome to beautiful, sunny Los Angeles, where tonight I'm going to be talking some slang with Def Leppard. We're joining the guys in the rehearsals for their upcoming world tour. We're going to be checking out some live rehearsal performances. And if you sent in a question for the band, listen up, because they may well be answering it direct to you. So, slang with me right now on Headbangers Ball with Def Leppard. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast. With your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Sonny, I got one question for you, or more or less one statement for you. You ready for this? Uh, Sure. All right. I want you to hear me and hear me well. I want you to slang with me because I don't want to get my hands dirty. I want you to slang with me because I just want to get soaking wet. Slang with me because, like I said before, if you didn't hear me, I don't want to get my hands dirty because all I ever want to do is get slanged. Now, did you understand that? Uh, that's the most, uh, <laughs> well, that's the best lyrics on this album. So, yeah, I understood most of those. <laughs> so, it's the end of the month, and we're talking all things Def Leppard slang, the sixth studio album by the band. And as always, we got to bring along a special guest. This month, we got Bill Algie from the Ages of Rock podcast. My man, Bill, what's going on? Hey, fellas, what's up? So, you got to love this. So, uh, you know, we had a bunch of albums where, uh, I got to call all these people, see who wants what. And I've got a list of people I'm going to call. And I see Bill on the list, and I'm thinking, I'll call him last, because most likely he'll take anything. And by the time I got to him, all I had left was this album. And congratulations, Bill. You're our Mikey. You'll take anything. <laughs> What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I disagree because it's going to be proven as we go through this album that literally you'll take anything when we get done reviewing this hunk of crap. I'll take anything else other than this hunk of crap. I think you're (laughs) right about that. (laughs) I don't want to give it away. We might actually love this record. Who knows? (laughs) It's close to Sonic Turd, but... (laughs) (laughs) So, Bill, first, what's your history with Def Leppard? When did you come into the band? Um, You know, the normal time, you know, hysteria when Photograph and all that kind of stuff came out. And then I went back and listened to, you know, High and Dry and On Through the Night. And really, uh, I liked High and Dry. On Through the Night was not a great record for me, but definitely, you know, everybody liked Pyromania and Hysteria. Adrenalize, you know, things started to fall off a little bit, but not a bad record either. So, yeah, I've been, you know, I've seen them two, three times, whatever. I, ironically, though, I never got to see them in their heyday. I got to see them like a little, you know, later in the last uh, ten years, one one of those double build co headlining things. But still, they were still pretty good. But they were smart, stuck with the yeah. Uh, let's stick with the hits, fellas. 
as opposed to uh, playing some shit that nobody knows. So at the time Slang came out, then you would have considered yourself a pretty decent Def Leppard fan then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, what, 96-ish, something like that? Yeah. 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 So do you remember the situation with this record? I mean, did you go right out and get the record or did you you wait on it? What was your history with Slang the album? Really, I didn't have much history until you called me. Because that was the last one, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. Because when Nirvana came along and all those bands like that, I kind of took an exit from metal and rock and went off on a country little thing, which will surprise some people, and other people kind of go. And because I just felt like I was abandoned by the music that I had liked for so long, I'm like, I got to find something new. Mm-hmm. So I just took a swerve. There were some bands I really stayed in contact with and followed. But for the most part, and you didn't have the internet and shit like that then. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I just kind of gave up. So I didn't hear the record for a long time. And I did hear it back a few years ago. And then I did uh, listen to it three times in the last couple of days to make sure that I could be at least sound somewhat professional, which is something we don't do on my show. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll clean you up for this show and make you sound like you're presentable. Either that or we'll put a bag of uh, rocks in your mouth and uh, make you sound like a babbling idiot. Just depends on how we feel. Neither one of those things would surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood, what's your uh, history with slaying the album? It's interesting that Bill said he went to country in this mid-90s point. I went to Motown. Right. So I was top 40. I was always listening to top 40 because you really can't get away from that before the internet. But I kind of went the Motown route and started listening to some doo wop and some stuff from the 60s and never really got into 70s because I don't really like that music. But this is coming out as I'm 26 to turn 27. And I was at Target. So Target had like a release radar of stuff that's coming out. And I, I spent 14 years at Target. So I knew exactly when this album was coming out, got it on day one. Target always got it like four or five days early, so you knew it was coming. Listen to it once, and then didn't listen again till like two weeks ago. <laughs> and I remember why. <laughs> was that so? Was that purchased on CD then? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I had it on CD. Yeah, yeah. So my history with this record is oddly enough, I remember this record coming out more so than Adrenalize. Like I said in the last episode, I didn't really remember when that came out to be honest, going out and getting it right away. But Slang, I think I was probably working at a record distributor at the time, or I was in and out of record distributors between being on the road. And I did pick the CD up at the time. And I probably listened to it two or three times and I I wanted to love it. But for whatever reason, it got shelved until just recently. That being said, I will say that Slang does appear on playlist of mine every so often the actual title song because as you'll see when we get to that song uh i do like that song so other than that it just kind of sat there it's not a a go-to def leppard record for me but i was happy to have the opportunity to at least dig into each individual song preparing for this episode so that's really my history with this record hi welcome back to headbangers ball kicking it here in sunny los angeles talking some slang with def leopard and joe and viv are with me now so let's find out some basic facts about this album let's start with hearing from joe elliott why this album was named slang who came up with the uh, album title slang and you know why why what does it mean phil Phil came up with it. 
don't ask me why, <laughs> he just did. We all thought it sounded good. I mean, you know, slang is, is the misuse of any given language, and rock and roll music generally is, is totally, you know, a misuse of any, of any language, usually English, you know. I ain't got no body and all that kind of ain't this and ain't that. It's not, you know, it's not generally what you'd say in the House of Commons, you know what I mean? So, But also it's like on this album, musically, you're talking a new vocabulary as well, so it fits that. We are, and in, and in fairness, it's it's actually probably less slang than possibly some of the stuff we've done in the past because things like Pour Some Sugar On Me and Armageddon It were very slang-influenced. Influ- There's a couple of things on here, especially the title track, where that's that's more, you know, along the same lines. But it, it just seemed like the perfect title, really. It's kind of loose and funky and street yep. streetwise and kind of thing. The album was released May 14th of 1996. It was recorded 1994 through 95 in Marabella, Spain. If you know the history of this album, the band basically rented out a huge house in Spain and set up their gear, and that's where they did all the recording. Then they went back to Bow Lane Studios in Dublin, Ireland, and I think worked on some finishing touches, some overdubs from uh, January to February of 96. The length of the album is 4558, and the label is Mercury. The producers of the record are Pete Woodruff, who was an engineer on Hysteria and Adrenalize. I think he was kind of a right-hand man of Mutt Lang's. And uh, Def Leppard got a producer credit as well. This record is only certified gold, meaning it only sold 500,000 copies. The album cover artwork. So I didn't really realize this till I read it, but according to the Almighty Gods at Wikipedia, and they're right, it says that this is the only Def Leppard album that does not feature their recognizable font logo on the album cover though all its singles still had the classic logo. So whenever they released a single, it had the classic logo. But looking back at the album cover, they're right. It doesn't have what all their previous albums had. So not only does it mark a change in music, but it marks a change in kind of the look of the overall band. What do you guys think about this album cover, Bill? Oh, it's interesting you say that because I really hadn't, I noticed that it didn't say Def Leppard and it wasn't like, in the same font but i really didn't realize it was that's the only record that was kind of like that that's very interesting i thought it was pretty plain it's really kind of not didn't grab you i think all of their previous records they had some kind of graphic on the front that was really kind of a popped and had some very good very cool graphics so that that's something but i can tell you that i think the cover matches the record the cover does have the word Def leopard on it and then slang almost like it's an abbreviated word and then there's background stuff going on. It's very Indian influenced, I would say, with some of the colors and some of the prints. Uh, Sonny, what's your thoughts on this album cover? Yeah, you could have made it pop if that Indian goddess that's in the cover that you can barely see, if it was a different color. They made the star pop, but they didn't really make the goddess kind of come out. The whole 010101 all over the place, I guess that's supposed to be some sort of like technology, like you're writing computer code, but it makes no sense. Although there is some industrial on here a little bit, so maybe it does make sense. I have to assume they didn't go with the logo because they're trying to distance themselves from the past. They were well aware of the musical landscape. We're going to talk about yeah. it a ton in the songs. They knew it. They've admitted it. So maybe it's a way to say, you know what? This is us kind of changing. Because even inside, the pictures are more like serious. They're not like live photos of them sweating and singing and shaking ass and white pants. This is 
they're almost like subdued. It's really weird. They're just kind of going with the times. Who did the artwork for Slang and who came up with the concept? Um, it's a company from Vermont in America called um, JDK. And um, they normally do like a lot of adverts for like skateboard magazines and, and like surfing. It's kind of real kind of uh, youth culture stuff. And we just fancied a change and they seemed very vibrant and, and now. And uh, so it's like we changed the tack with the music. We wanted to change the tack with the sleeve Obviously. as well. Yeah. And the whole, the sleeve has a kind of a, an Indianish kind of flavour to it too and mm -hmm. I think that is probably because we were coming up with a sleeve just as we were kind of working on turn to dust and it all right. seemed to tie in together Excellent mm -hmm. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast Growing Up Rock and leave us a review on iTunes Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock Okay so before we get into the tracks one of the things that you'll hear from Joe and the guys they say that the Crow soundtrack influenced a lot of the sound, right? So get this. The Crow soundtrack had 14 songs on it. I guarantee you haven't heard of 13 of them. The only one you've heard of is Big Empty, which was by Stone Temple Pilots. There's a Cure song on here called Burn. There's something by the Rollins band called Ghost Rider, which is a suicide cover. Pantera did a song called The Badge, which is a Poison Idea cover. Nine Inch Nails did Dead Souls, which is a Joy Division cover. And Rage Against the Machine did a song called Darkness. Again, no songs you've heard of. Triple platinum. So I think these guys are going, oh my God, this is what's selling. We got to go do this if we want to be triple platinum. And it was a number one record. It's 1994 to 96. Let's calm down. The music's all shit. Anything can go number one at this point. <laughs> and obviously anything did. Well, the list of bands you listed, those were the ones that were selling all the records. That's right. Period. <laughs> I don't know if either one of you guys have listened to it, and I've only listened to one episode, to be honest, but I found a podcast out there called Def Leppard Pod, and obviously they're dedicated completely to Def Leppard. And so I figured, hey, this year we're doing a Def Leppard series. Why not listen and hear what these guys are, are doing just out of curiosity? So they had an episode that centered around the song Truth, which is the first song on this record. And we'll talk about that. But one of the interesting perspectives that they had on Def Leppard at this particular point in time, I thought was really it was fair. And I've heard Joe Elliott mention this as well, which is that for Def Leppard to continue as a band, they really needed to do this album. Regardless of whether this album was a huge flop or huge success, this album in particular needed to happen. And I found that to be a little bit insightful because most rock bands that have long histories, they have that one album in their history that is left of center for what they normally do. And I think this is their elder. This is their Kilroy is here. This is their left of center album from everything else that they've done in the past. To me, anyway, that's what it sticks out because it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb when it comes to music, you know, with the landscape changing and with people getting out of it. I found that perspective interesting and I sort of could see where they were coming from with that particular comment. How much of a challenge was it to change musical direction at this point in your career, especially without Mutt Lang? It's, we didn't look at it as a challenge at all, really. I mean, it's, it's something that was just we've been wanting to do for a good few years now. 
it would have been a lot harder in actual fact to try and make the same old records that we've been making for the last eight years mm -hmm. you know because we we didn't really want to do that anymore and and it was just such an obvious thing within the group to to record in a different way and because of that actually produce something that sounds a little different you know and so it was it was it was very natural for us to do it this way because we've right. we've been wanting to do it for years you know all right so the first track I guess I should say it, truth, since there's a question mark. Uh, Bill, this ain't no women or pour some sugar on me. I can tell you that. <laughs> Man, I, I tell you, I when we started talking about this, or it, you know, months ago, and then I waited till a couple of weeks, till the last couple of weeks, so I could listen to stuff. When I listened to this record the first time through, I'm like, this is not a bad record. I was at work and I was listening through it, and I'm like, this is not a bad record. I think I can get into this. Then I listened to it the second time, and barely made it through part of the first song with this i just could not i didn't get the whole you know the song starts with this build-up right this kind of uh you know the build-up and and then it just i just it never went anywhere i was i just kept waiting and i'm like i didn't i don't know we're scoring this shit or what but <laughs> <laughs> i did not after i went back and listened to it now for the third after the third time which i think you guys owe me money for um <laughs> <laughs> it just i'm one of those guys that if you don't get me on the first song, that opening song, that opening riff, it's done. It's done. <laughs> That's I'm just going to say. There. <laughs> Stephen, what's interesting about this song is <laughs> even Joe said, you know, by the time it gets released in 96, the landscape's changed. And the songs about a coming of age song is us referencing our awareness and this whole new movement. And we're having none of it. But you did it. If you're having none of it, then release Pour Some Sugar on me as a first song. But then you end up doing the exact thing you said you weren't going to do. I, I just, I don't get this first song. <laughs> That's the only interesting thing you find about this song. I found it interesting that that Bill used the phrase. Shitty. Uh, well, he didn't use that <laughs> phrase, but he, <laughs> expected, he, to say. he expected the song to go somewhere and it didn't. And I found that to be a reoccurring theme on this album. Not with this particular tune for me, but others for sure. With Truth, it's the only song on the record that's written by all the members in the band, except for Rick Allen, who, you know, he's a drummer. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only composition written by all the guys in the band, except for Rick Allen. It's three minutes, so... Time-wise, it, it doesn't offend. I don't know. Industrial Leopard I had written out to the side. The guitar sound, I really like the sound of the guitar on the record, on the single. It's chaotic at times. There's no real hooks to me. Have either one of you guys heard the uh, the original version of Truth, the actual demo version? No, and I think that's on the, that's on the box set or the uh, extended version or whatever. I didn't listen to it. At the to me, it's it's better. To me, it's it, well. I mean, it sounds like a demo, so sound wise, it's not great. But the original version is pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy and straight ahead. In a lot of ways, it's just more of a cleaner song that way. But with all this industrial shit going on and all these crazy drums going on, to me, I like the demo better. And the intro, if you listen to the intro of Truth. The intro is very old school Def Leppard, but the rest of the song, it's, it's just meh to me. 
So we go to the second track, Turn to Dust, and we go from industrial to somewhere between India and Morocco. Bill, to me, the issue isn't the style of music. I can probably live with that because, you know, if you listen to enough Zeppelin, you get some of that. It's Joe Whining. I don't like Joe Whining. To me, this song began just like Truth did. That slow buildup thing. And then you get that Moroccan stuff in there. And I'm like, what the hell? I was like, they just took the first song and changed it a little bit. And it's the same shit, different day. I was like, <laughs> you don't get to Joe Elliott singing, to your point. And actually, the whole record's kind of like that. It's not, you get this, I know he's trying to do something with his voice. It's always this kind of muddy kind of thing for me. I just am not, to your point, I'm not a fan of the of the vocals on the record at all. Just because it feels, I know the intent is the industrial thing and all that kind of stuff. But the guy's got a great rock voice, and he just hit it under some garbage. <laughs> Pulled back the rug, swept that shit under there, and there you go. Now, Stephen, the redeeming quality for this song for me, although back-to-back songs, they're not great, is that at least the pre-chorus and a little bit of the chorus actually had a hint of adrenaline. So I'm like, oh, there is a Def Leppard still in there somewhere. I was digging deep to find it. Bingo. My exact notes on this are I like the pre-chorus and chorus, but I really don't like much else on this song. I mean... I don't mind the whole different Moroccan feel and all that other stuff. Like you said, I mean, it's not that big of a deal to me. It adds a different flavor. I do like the pre-course and course, but the rest of the song is just kind of meh. And I think maybe to Bill's comment, 
maybe Joe was having vocal problems from all the years of screaming at this point, and maybe he's trying to find a different voice within the band, which hints at him using lower tones and things like that. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. I haven't ever heard that, to be clear. Maybe it's just because they're trying to uh, change the flavor of the band. I don't know, but I, I get what you're saying. I think it was more about, I'm trying to sound like the other guys that are on the radio right now. And the last record that sounded great. And that was kind of grungy. So I got to sound like I'm in pain. And it just, you know, I, I appreciate artists that, that try to change the times, but I like the artists that also try to change the times, but also stay true to who they are. And I don't think they did that. I'll tell you, I heard an interesting clip and I'll play it right here. In the eighties, Def Leppard was rock royalty. And not only do they take credit for the overall sound of that decade, but it seems they claim responsibility for the alternative movement of the 90s as well. The reason Nirvana and Pearl Jam happened was because too many bands sounded like we did. You know, there was your wingers and your warrants and your slaughters, and they were all borrowing our sound. If there's a problem with having a big successful record, that's it. It's people copying it and burning your sound out for you. So you have to keep changing. That's what we try to do. So in that clip we just heard, basically Joe Elliott was taking credit for almost the entire sound of the 80s and then the entire sound of the grunge revolution. I understood what he was saying, but at the same time, I thought, man, that's awful boisterous of you, you know? Pretty full of himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No kidding. Well, you know, you oh. could say that about any, you could say that about every time musical, you know, yeah. music changes, right? I'm not sure Def Leppard was that. I mean, they were huge. There's no question, but they were not the only band that was huge. There were a whole lot of other bands that were huge at that same time. There were Bon Jovi being one of them, but I, I said this before. I felt like Pyromania was a gateway drug for a, a lot of bands and the record industry in general. I just I felt like that really bridged the gap between these big courses, big vocals and a hard rock sound, but yet still commercial. And so I think that they definitely created one of those wheels on that bus. But bands like Bon Jovi also rode that to the next level. And and so I don't I don't necessarily think that all the bands like Winger and Warrant and Slaughter copped their sound from Def Leppard. That's all I'll say. My take on that would be Def Leppard deserves a credit partially for what the sound of the eighties became. You want to blame somebody for the grunge sound, blame sleaze bees, rocks gang, <laughs> fucking pretty boy Floyd. Don't blame <laughs> Leopard. <laughs> well, and if Leopard's going to take some of that credit, they better give the credit to Mutt Lang too. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the next song we get to, which is the third song on the disc, is Slang. All right, the muddy riff to me, Bill, is kind of it's kind of hiding what, how good the riff is, but I would have opened the album with this song because this is closer to, call it a 96 version of Pour Some Sugar On Me, I guess. Okay, my note says the intro is shitty. <laughs> That's what my note says. <laughs> you just seen, wrote the same note 11 times. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't. No, because How do you not was, like this it, song? I, I just, dude, I am, it's, it's amazing. I do have okay written by some, so it's okay. <laughs> but, but for it being a title track for the record, I'm just shocked that it, to me, it was just, it was a song that I just could not figure out. I couldn't get into. I just, it had a shitty intro. And to me, if I can't get past the intro, 
to get to the refrain, I'm done. And I'm like, out. What are we referring to as the intro on slang? Because there's not much of an intro. It goes right into, you know, I mean, it's a two minute, 37 second song. So what are you, what are you calling the intro? I think it's just the begin. It's just that beginning piece of the song. I just don't. If it doesn't catch them right away. It happens to me on songs by bands that waste my time for 30 to it doesn't happen this song but songs that waste my time for 30 45 seconds 90 seconds trying to create mood and it's like dude, get on with it right but this song to me honestly steven started a like five song run of songs i can actually listen to it might be because the first two songs were so shitty possibly but uh this did start kind of a ball rolling downhill that I was like, oh, okay, I could get into this a little bit. Slang for me is definitely the odd man out on this record. It sounds completely different than anything else on this record to me. I like this song a lot. I mean, it's two minutes and 37 seconds. It's catchy. It's hooky. It's fun. It's the only thing to me on this record that sounds like old Def Leppard. My other comment is that really, honestly, if you think about it, this song has a very hip hop feel to it. I mean, listen to this song and the beats of this song and the ca- and the vocal cadence of this song. I won't call it a rap song, but it's I could see where this song would be influenced by a rap cadence or uh, just an R&B hip hop uh, feel to the rhythmic beats of this song. So then we go to All I Want Is Everything. <laughs> and Bill, <laughs> Joe said it started out as a country song and then went to you, too. I agree. It went to U2. That does not mean it's good because I don't like U2. <laughs> Actually, I like this song a little better. This is where I kind of thought we got to the third, you know, the fourth song on it. And I'm kind of like, and I finally got to where, oh, this is a song I think I can actually maybe listen to. But again, it's that Joe lower register thing. And it's kind of like, what are you just sing it, man? I don't understand why one of the best rock vocalists decides that he can't sing anymore. And I think that took away from the song, but I don't think it's a bad, I don't think it's a horrible song. And one of the things I wrote down too was I think this song could have appeared on Adrenalize and one of those other records and been mixed differently by a different producer. And I think it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. 
don't know how to leave you And I don't know how to stay I got things that I must tell you That I don't know how to say Man behind these empty words Is crying out in shame Holding on to this sinking ship When nothing else remains Steven, you definitely don't get the pyromania Joe here, but I think Joe sounds good. Song simple. It just yeah. gets a little boring in the melody. Very boring to me. I mean, A, it's a ballad. You know how I feel about that, but it's just slow and moody. I don't know. This song doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> Five minutes and 20 seconds that I can go uh, make myself a ham sandwich. All right. So we go from ham sandwich to uh, work it out. And Phil Kahn had said it kind of started out as a pop song. It still has some pop elements to me. Joe kind of sounds like he took a volume though, right, Bill? Like he he really kind of slowed this thing down. Yeah. This is not a bad, I, I, in my opinion, this is not a bad song. So this is one of the songs I have okay. Not a horrific song. But, you know, I know this is the first record they did not use Mutt Lang for, you know, in that's the first time ever, I think, right? And I don't know if that was the reason, but again, when you listen to a band that you know and you've listened to them for a while, and all of a sudden you hear that you see this big change, it's really hard to give them a break <laughs> because you know they've got it in them. And it's like, you're close. Just tip the scale. Take it all for granted I'm 
Stephen, there is a ton of little guitar licks that Vivian's doing all over the place. You just got to listen for them. Like if you can kind of get through, they were trying to be Nine Inch Nails, Cure, and Bowie at the same time, which to me is strike one, two, and three. That's just me personally. If you listen for like the little guitar licks, they are there. I, I think Vivian wrote a good song here. I don't know if the execution at the end is something that we wanted. Yeah, so we didn't really talk about it. We didn't mention it. And, uh, you know, some people may not be familiar, but this is Vivian Campbell's first studio album with the band, right? Because when he came into the band, Adrenalize was already pretty much done and he replaced Steve Clark. So this is the first studio album and he gets to contribute and he contributes this song. This is his writing song. I hear a lot of the uh, little guitar licks you talk about. I thought the funky little breakdown in the middle was interesting. I liked the pre-chorus. Well, let me rephrase that. I think the pre-chorus is not bad. But other than that, I mean, it's okay. It's an okay song. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Uh, and I think it's probably a step above meh. All right. Then we get to the sixth song on the record, Breathe a Sigh, uh, written by Phil Collin alone. What's interesting, Bill, here is the band worked through seven different versions of this song. And it ranged from like unplugged all the way to reggae, almost gave up, and then kind of went a more simplistic route. I'll tell you, I like the big choir in the chorus. I thought the song's pretty good. Yeah, this is this is definitely one of the songs that I picked up on and would listen to again. Um, and would put it in a playlist or whatever, a Def Leppard playlist. It does sound like a Def Leppard song, though. It does sound like a ballady Def Leppard song, which, which is what you expect. I have listened to the demo ver- one of the demo versions, and they ended up making the song sound, it sounds a lot similar to the demo. So it's kind of interesting if it's one of those deals, and it could have been that you know, they had a demo, and then they recorded it seven other times, like you said, and then went back and went, nah, we're going to go back because the demo was really the best thing to do because that's the best version. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think this song is is, for me, probably one of the brightest spots on this record. Very, very dim light, by the way. Let me down slow and easy Cause there ain't nothing I can do
Steven, I was thinking this song gets released late 80s, early 90s. You probably got a crossover hit here. Yep. I have a bunch of notes written for this song. So my first notes say Otis Redding Leopard with a question mark. Sounds like maybe an old R&B ballad. Then when the big vocals come in, it becomes Backstreet Leopard. So it's like when the vocals hit, it's like like almost like Backstreet Boys in a lot of ways. It's an interesting song. I'll give you that. And I hear exactly what the two of you are saying. And I kind of concur with what both of you have said. It's just, uh, it's definitely an eclectic song of a lot of different styles. And it's definitely something, in my opinion, you haven't really heard from Leopard before. Seventh song of the record, Deliver Me. Joe was probably talking to me and Bill, especially when he said, look, we got married, started getting divorced. Parents are passing away. Kids are being born. And you want me to sing the same old shit that I sang in 1983? Bill, I think he was talking to us. Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, I could not get into this song at all. It just droned on and I could not get myself wrapped around it in any way, shape or form. It just depressed the shit out of me. I mean, if that was the point, it worked. (laughs) 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 It delivered me to hell because, man, I was like. I was pretty doomed when it was over. <laughs> I'm tired of feeling hateful. I'm tired that I can't breathe. So tired I would be grateful if you close the door when you leave. That's me. Steven, I'm not sure I feel the same way because the verse was part Stone Temple Pilots, part Prialis and Chains, but the pre-chorus was all Def Leppard. I'll tell you, I'll actually take 11 or 12 of these. I didn't think the song was bad. Wow. Well, I mean, I've got a lot of deep insight into the song Deliver Me and uh, brace yourselves because here it comes. Meh. Oh, that's it. That's all I wrote. Uh, I, you know, listen, I heard you make the comment about Joe Elliott and wanting uh, him to sing the same thing that he sang in 1995 to sound like 86 or whatever. Honestly, 
I don't think we would have accepted that. Maybe now, when we went back and reviewed the album, we would have been like, yeah, you know what? This is not that bad an album. But in 1996, when this record came out, if they would have uh, delivered to us another, let's say, Adrenalize, I think that we and the fans would have been very not accepting of that record at that particular time. What do you think? Uh, I would have been fine with another Adrenalize, to be honest with you. I would have been fine with it. In that time period, you think your headset would have been fine with it? Yeah, because my head didn't change at that point. Yeah, mine did. But I think it would have been all right. I, I do. I agree with Sonny. I think it would have been all right because I think that there were enough people that were trying to make a switch that to hear something that people were familiar with would have helped them. And it wouldn't have been you know, so far off the beaten path. I think the fact that some bands went so far one way and didn't stay, like, again, like I said earlier, true to who they really are, mm-hmm. it alienated people. And I think this is one of the records that probably helped people go, you know, Def Leppard isn't the band that I thought they were, and I'm I'm out. But you could also argue that some of the bands that did stay exactly true to who they were disappeared off the face of the earth, never to be heard from again. It depends on how big you were. Yeah, they would have been anyway. Would it, Yeah, it's good. It's bound to happen. I mean, those things happen anyway. Right, I don't care how you feel about L.A. Guns; they weren't going to live through this. Dokken, one of my favorite bands, not going to live through this. No, but in a sense, they did live through this. They did. They're paying for, playing for fifteen grand a night. That's not <laughs> yes, living through. It. They're playing for one hundred fifty people. With but you know what I'm saying? They they did live through it. They're still playing gigs today, whereas there are bands that maybe were on their first or second album that we really enjoyed that disappeared, never to be heard from again. Right. Those bands didn't survive. No, but those bands did not have the did not have the longevity that the other bands had. You know, in that '80s stuff, and we'll use Dokken as an example. You know, by this time they've had what probably five, six records out, maybe a few more than that actually. But in that ballpark, but you get to a band that's only have one or two records out, and the music scene changes like that, they're gone because they never got they never grabbed hold. Even Dokken, which uh, as an example. They never made the big stage. Oh, yeah. They were always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of thing. But to Sonny's point, if you want to see Dokken today, it's in a bar, in a club, and it's you and 150 of your friends. And you go see Def Leppard today, and it's in a football stadium because <laughs> they're on a <laughs> quadruple bill <laughs> or whatever. Right. But there's but people are still going. Yeah. And and I, I think that. Yeah, I just think that's what separates those guys. Well, I think that was also due to two uh, Diamond Records, period. Yeah, and the story. They yeah. could they could have put out those two albums. They put out Pyromania and Hysteria alone, never put out another record after it or another record before it. I think they would have still been playing on these bills that they're playing on today. Well, yeah, we have an example of that. Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Good point. Abs- <laughs> absol- absolutely. Great, great point, actually. <laughs> And, and and really, to be honest, I think that's what happened with Def Leppard. Because if it wasn't for those two records, they'd be gone. Yeah. yeah. They had two monster records that have carried them. Because if you ask an average fan that listened to the radio, even back in that day, to even tell you what a song is off Adrenalize, they're going to struggle a little bit. But they could, oh, tell yeah, you, absolutely. they could tell you a song off the other two records without a question. Yeah. All right. So we get to the eighth song, Gift of Flesh. And here's... And this is just a personal beef with me. (laughs) I come to these types of bands to hear stripper songs. I do not come to these type of bands to hear about the oil crisis. If I want to hear about that, I'll go listen to Rage. 
right? I don't need to be with Def Leppard. This is where it's like, come on, dude. I get it. You got to grow up, but can you still at least talk about love? Like, why has it got to be the oil crisis? Bill, you okay <laughs> with this? From a song perspective, it's not bad. When you start listening to the lyrics and you start really kind of reading through it and you kind of go, dang. <laughs> This is why I don't listen to lyrics because I had no I clue about that. So, well, it, it's you know I don't do that a lot. I honest to God, when I listen to a record, I sit back and I listen to the music and how it makes me feel. It's an experience, and then I go back and I look at the lyrics with the lyric sheet stuff like that. That's kind of how I do it. But sometimes when you get to the lyric sheet, it's like it, it screws up the record <laughs> because when you start really reading the lyrics and you pay attention, you're like shit <laughs> that's not what i wanted to do to your point that's not what i wanted to hear <laughs> Yeah, Stephen, uh, have you song on the record, though, right? Rick Allen's killing it. You got some yeah. great guitar solos, but it's just the subject matter turned me off. Again, if you don't listen to the lyrics, it's not a bad song. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I didn't know. I mean, I haven't read the lyrics. I have no clue what it's about. I saw Gift of Flesh. To me, that sounds sexy. <laughs> so, so I don't know what it means, but it's heavy for Def Leppard for sure. It lacks hooks for me, and it lacks a good pre-course and course. but. I like the riff in it. You know, the drums sound great. Uh, Rick Allen made it a point to play uh, actual drums on this album. So he's not using his electronic drum kit for this record. He's using acoustic drums. Yeah, you know, I don't hate this song. It's okay for me. Bill, here's what I heard in this. It's a cake. 
the crust is shit, the filling is shit, the layers are shit, but the whipped cream and the sprinkles are pretty good. So I'm okay with it. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. Hey, cupcakes come that way sometimes. There you go. Cupcakes <laughs> are just like that. Hey, listen, with the, with the rest of what I've got to choose from in this album, I'll take Kift of Flesh. Thanks. I'm with you there, actually. Because <laughs> the next song, Blood Runs Cold. You know how sometimes there's parentheses after the song? Bill, I think it should say Blood Runs Cold, parentheses, sorry for wasting your time. <laughs> Oh my God. It's just a okay. either my, that or blood runs cold parentheses set your alarm for four minutes and twenty six <laughs> seconds. It's just a weird. It's just weird. It's just a weird song. That whole I don't like the music part of it. You get what you've been wanting from Joe Elliott earlier, and it doesn't make any damn sense in this song because of the way it's. It, it just oh no. <laughs> Steven, I think we're back at really serious Def Leppard, and I get it. They're trying to write a song for a fallen brother, but come on, do it some other way, not this way. Yeah. How many times do we need to pay tribute to Steve Clark? And, you know, no. Okay, that sounded asshole right there, Phil. <laughs> okay. How the fuck? <laughs> I, I, well, you didn't let me finish. No, Holy shit. <laughs> no, no offense, but you did it on White Lightning. And I said, you know, I liked White Lightning, but how many times do we need to do that? And the song is not good. It's slow and it's boring. 
And I get that you're maybe trying to make peace with it and trying to get your emotions out in music. I'm okay with that, but I just don't, the song, there's nothing, it's slow, it's boring. I don't like this song at all. So two songs left. Where does love go when it dies, Bill? It goes in the pocket of your ex-wife. <laughs> Lucky for me, I don't have one of those. <laughs> you Actually, sure? That... <laughs> yep. <laughs> she hasn't ran out the door yet. She's probably in there thinking about it, though. <laughs> I didn't think this was a horrible song. It's not a bad song. But um, again, it's this record was just tough. It was just finding glimmers to get you through that song to the next one. It was just really tough. It's, it's okay. That's, that's about it. Not horrible, but it's just okay. Steven, I'm thinking Bill thinks it's okay, because I think so, too. It's that campfire, people sitting around with a couple of acoustic guitars feel that you get is livable. My notes, another slow one, meh. <laughs> I mean, it's really, after Gift of Flesh, number 18, after that, the last three songs on this record are just, uh, I'll give you my thoughts on Pearl of Euphoria here in a minute, but where does love go when it dies is just a, almost a continuation of blood runs cold. Although I do like it better than blood runs cold, but it's just kind of, it's just another slow one. And then we come to the bitter end with the longest song on the album, Pearl of Euphoria. Bill, I guess they're trying to do cashmere here is basically what they're trying to do. Turd of Def Leppard. <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, do, you want, do you want me to read my note, what I yeah. wrote? 
dear God, that's effing horrible. <laughs> that's exactly what my note says. Brilliant. <laughs> You want to talk about a way to end a record to make somebody never buy another record of yours? <laughs> Put that on there. <laughs> Your price named the Steven, here's the funny piece. So Joe Elliott does the guitar intro because according to Phil and Viv, they told Joe, well, you know, we really can't get the feel of it. So you go ahead and do it. And Joe said, I think it was a nice way of saying, you don't really know how to play guitar and we can't figure out what you did. So you just do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hey, we've said it on the previous episodes. Def Leppard always has to have that epic song, right? On each album. This is a six minute and 21 second epic number of the record. It's moody, but this song goes absolutely nowhere. I listened to this song today and after it was over, I was trying to figure out where this song was even going in six minutes. There were a couple times where I listened to it and I chopped it up and I said, okay, what has happened in this first two minutes of the song? Has there been a course? Has there been a pre-course? Has there been a bridge? Nope. How about the next two minutes of the song? Nope. It's just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I'll tell you, I think you guys would agree. Say what you want about Soundgarden or Alice in Chains or Stone Temple Pilots, even Nirvana to pieces. I don't love all of it, but it all still had choruses. It all still did have their style of hook. That's one of the reasons I listen to AIC is because of the hooks. This record, is, I mean, that song doesn't have any structure around it. It doesn't have any normal normal musical structure. That's what, you know, I think that's what we're kind of getting at to get you involved in the song to, you know, get to the next, you know, the next part. It just, it's just a freaking train wreck. 
<laughs> that's, that's my take on it. Here's the thing that I really struggle with is we all know that Def Leppard can write a hook. They can write a pre-course. They can write a course. We know that. I, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. So if they wanted to change who they were, they could have changed musically who they were. They could have presented it in a different way, but they could have still done each one of these songs with hooks, pre-courses, bridges. They could have taken the basic formula behind writing a catchy song and presented it in this manner and had a much better album, in my opinion. But it's like they abandoned everything that they learned about writing a song and just started from scratch just so they could not keep any of the Def Leppard DNA. I just don't understand that philosophy. That's all. Yeah. So I have a question then. Is it possible that this record could have been done with Mutt Lang? And if it would have been, would it have sounded anything at all like this? Or would he, he had pushed them and said, this is not who you are. This is not going to go anywhere. Go back to the formula. Take care of your business. Well, I know from reading and listening to interviews that part of them, they really wanted to escape Def Leppard as a whole. They wanted to be a different band and write a completely different album. And part of that was exercising themselves from Mutt Lang as well. Now, I think the option of doing this record with Mutt was a no-go as far as the band was concerned. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Was the looser production on the album one of the most important statements about slang? Well, it wasn't necessarily something that was a priority. It didn't have to be loose. We just didn't want to do it the same way as we had in the past. You know, I think we got so sick of recording separately and doing everything under a microscope. It was a kind of reaction against that, really. So, um, I mean, that wasn't the criteria to be loose, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of the guitar stuff was like one takes, and we, we didn't spend the time actually getting the sounds or anything it was the, the, all the effort went into the songs and, and stuff as opposed to the production all right so the tough part bill it's going to be easy to come up with a bottom two but you got to cut it to two so give me your bottom two oh. songs the two worst and give me your top two off this album bottom two i'm gonna say <laughs> pearl of euphoria freaking horrible song and uh deliver me was the other just the two worst songs for me Okay songs for me. I like, is it Breath of Sigh? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Breathe of Sigh. Yeah. Breath of Sigh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that song I liked. And um, I, I like Gift of Flesh, too. I thought that was a pretty good song. So I, those two are songs that I would probably uh, listen to again. Yeah. Stephen, my bottom two, I thought the worst song on this record was the opening song, Truth. And the second song on this record ain't much better. So that's my <laughs> turn, turn to dust. Those are my two bottom two. My top two, I thought the best song on this album is Breathe of Sigh. And I really liked Work It Out. That was my second best. Yeah, I like that tune. I like that song too. It's good. Yeah. Steven, how about you? All right. So my top two are going to be slang. No surprise there. And probably gift of flesh. Maybe my bottom two, man, let's see. <laughs> there's so much to choose from. Um, <laughs> you can only pick two, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I can only pick two. Um, bottom two, Pearl of Euphoria uh, is one. And then I think blood runs cold. I just, no thanks. Yeah. Blood Runs Cold and Pearl of Euphoria are my bottom two. So before we get final thoughts, let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your 
Historic Moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the Historic Moment, May 96 in history is super important because it's a month after Kisses had a press conference on the USS Intrepid announcing their reunion tour. Tickets went on sale April 20th of that year. And they had a first tune-up date on the 15th at Irvine. But the first real date of the tour was actually Tiger Stadium on June 28th in 96. That show, the two opening bands, Sponge and Alice in Chains. The set list was Deuce, King of the Nighttime World, Do You Love Me, Colin Dr. Love, Cold Gin, Christine 16, Love Gun, Shout It Out Loud, Watching You, Firehouse, 2000 Man, Strutter, Shock Me, Rock Bottom, God of Thunder, New York Groove, 100,000 Years, Rock and Roll All Night, and the encore was Beth, Detroit Rock City, and Black Diamond. That's a pretty goddamn good set. But the one song I skipped is a song we're going to play for you right now. This is a double platinum version of Let Me Go Rock and Roll. you like that song is that song okay for you i love that song (laughs) (laughs) that song you heard tonight (laughs) that that makes this whole thing worth it because otherwise i was gonna go don't call me again (laughs) (laughs) steven how about you yeah i've always liked let me go rock and roll it's just old school rock and roll at its core type tune and kiss does it well yeah it's pretty crazy there's not very many times in rock history where Def Leppard is struggling to sell an album and Kiss is about to take the world by storm because it just yeah. got back together. So you want an interesting tidbit about that? Sure. So I saw the second show. Oh, so okay. The first show was in Detroit. The second show was in Louisville, Kentucky. 
Okay. So Dennis and I, Dennis Talbot, who's on, who's a part of our show, he and I had not, we talked for a long time, but had not seen each other for years. And we connected back at that show and have been close as we were before after that. And there were, there was a 20 year span there where something like that, where we were just out of touch with each other. And it was, it's rekindled a great friendship. And that actually was the most expensive concert t-shirt I've ever purchased in my life. And I will never do that again. More expensive than now? Uh, it was $75. I don't buy Oh it. my God. Yeah. It was the, it was the, it had, I think it has Louisville on the back of it, but it's got the, it was that splotchy thing with the stars and Dennis bought one too. And it just, it was crazy. I'd have opted for the uh, $20 shirt in the parking lot. <laughs> well, I bought, well, I bought the shirt. I bought, I bought the shirt. I bought a. I bought a program. I mean, you know, I bought a. <laughs> you know, so I, I, pref- I prefer the shirts in the parking lots where they don't spell kiss right. <laughs> there we go. Where it's a sick. Because <laughs> for a lot of us, at least for me, that was the first time I saw Kiss of Makeup. Wow. Oh yeah, that's not my first time. Yeah. Yeah, not my first time, but it is the first time that I saw, and I didn't see the '96 shows. I saw the. The second go round, which was what, 2001 or something. Mm-hmm. You didn't see Psycho Circus either? Uh, I didn't see Psycho Circus. When I saw him, it was uh, Ted Nugent and Skid Row opening up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, I think yeah, that's you know, that's the only tour, the only tour I have missed. Well, I've missed two, I guess. So the Freedom to Rock tour, I missed that tour just because it was an extension of the other, of the other, they just went to some different cities. And I did not go see Psycho Circus because it was exactly the same set list as they had done before. And, I'm like, uh, they're in 3D. Duh. So I'm not going to go pay money to watch them be in 3D when they're already in 3D. <laughs> yeah. Now I saw, I saw Creatures of the Night when they had makeup, and then uh, I didn't see them as the original band in makeup until uh, I think it was 2001 when that happened. I don't remember. So when, when was your first Kiss show then? My first Kiss show was Creatures of the Night in whatever year that was. 83, 80, 82, 83, 84, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. My first is Asylum. Yeah. Mine was in 78. So. Oh, good for you. A live two tour. Yeah. Right at the tail end there. Right at yeah. the tail end. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. So Def Leppard slang uh, to me, it starts bad. It ends bad. There are some songs in the middle that I actually liked that I would listen to again. There's probably three or four songs that I would listen to again. But yeah, the majority of this record, not great for me. Bill? Uh, ditto. <laughs> it's really easy. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would definitely agree. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if there's four. I don't know. <laughs> the four's probably stretching it a little bit. <laughs> Steven, what about you? I usually don't make it past slang. And for whatever reason... I always listen to truth turn to dust and slang probably just because I start the record at the beginning. I don't hate truth or turn to dust like you do, Sonny, but they're also upon listening to them on this go around, getting ready for this episode. I'm like, eh, but slang for me, like I said, I'll use slang on some of my uh, playlists because I do like that song, but the rest of the record, I mean, I'm like uh, the majority of Def Leppard fans, right? If you're going to, go, hey, I'd like to have some Def Leppard on this playlist. You're going to go to High and Dry or Pyromania or even Hysteria for something. You're not going to go to slang, but... <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're at a party with some guys or you're just sitting around listening to music or whatever and somebody goes, 
hey, have you guys heard this record? I'm putting the slang by Def Leppard. You just got to get up and leave. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you got. That's the only option. <laughs> so I've said it before. I think that these Def Leppard records from here on out uh, for the rest of the year will be the more interesting ones to me, simply because with the first five Def Leppard records, you basically know what you're getting. The majority of their fan base comes from those first five albums, really the first four records, honestly. But the latter records are the ones that I haven't listened to recently, the ones that I'm interested to go back and listen and see, well, are they bad records or not? Like I was very surprised with Adrenalize, as I said, in being a halfway decent record better than I remember it being. With Slang, I kind of expected the same results and got the opposite results where it wasn't it wasn't good at all. Yeah, and if you think about it, 87 to 96, these guys released three albums. Dude, how much of music changed between 87 and 96? So if you're only going to release three albums, you have to go to major changes, stuff that people were gradually doing. You have to do and shock the people. And that's exactly what this album did is shock the people. The wrong way. That's right. Elder's still worse, though. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. You know, Sonny, I don't know. You know, I mean, I have to be careful because I have, you know, I have a reputation like you do about being, <laughs> being the hater. You know, Dark Light's not a bad song. <laughs> oh, yeah. These guys are on the escape from the island. Otherwise, it'd be all right. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. The oath. All right. You went, all right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so, Bill, first of all, thanks for joining us today. But tell us what's going on with uh, your podcast there. Well, we just did our 300th episode not uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think we're on like 305 now, 304, something like that. So uh, going really well. Our podcast is, we do it just as much for us as anybody else. It's therapeutic. And, you know, hopefully we get some listeners. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Our podcast has brought us the ability to to make some great friends, which would be two of you guys. So thank you very much for having me on. And, and uh, being there, and it's nice to hook up at different events and stuff like that and uh, tear up the town whenever we get the opportunity. So, yeah, it's going well. But you can find us at agesofrock.com. Awesome. Congratulations on uh, your 300 episodes. That's a great feat. Didn't think we could pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, give our love to Alan and, uh, and Dennis there for us, would you? I will, do, I will certainly do that. I will tell them that you guys send your love, and they will probably throw up. <laughs> that's not true i see the way alan eyes me <laughs> yeah dennis is eyeballing you, so you just <laughs> awesome it's well, all good yeah it's all good thanks again bill for joining us sonny you got any last minute words here for the folks yeah bill don't give my love to those two yahoos give all my love to lisa oh i'll do that i'll go in there and give her some, I'll go in there and give her some love right now <laughs> mention hollywood's name and you will be divorced <laughs> she's up went out to dinner with him before and she seemed to survive that that's <laughs> right it's all fake <laughs> all right well until next month when we are going to be doing what's the next one up sonny uh euphoria i think yep next month euphoria will be the latest def leopard go through so stick around visit us Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you guys next week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. 
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 